This is Karen with NewClevelandRadio.net, and it is time for Heart Mojo with Melinda Smith. And Melinda, I know you've been really busy the last couple of months, um, but you've been bringing us some great guests, and I'm really interested in hearing more about this guest because um, I've been following this subject real closely online. Um, So why don't you go ahead and introduce your guest and let's get started. Well, this is Liv Passe from the Alzheimer's Association in Cleveland. Are you development director, correct? Development manager. Manager. Well, I upgraded you to director. (laughs) I'll tell my people. (laughs) They're going to hear the upgrader. Just move around. So (laughs) thank you for being on the show. You and I have been doing a lot lately with projects to raise money for the Alzheimer's Association, right? Yeah, it's been a great couple of months for us. Yeah, we've been busy, busy. So tell me a little bit about how you got started. What yeah, so was your passion I, to bring you here? Mm-hmm. I started with the Alzheimer's Association in September of 2019. Um, this is my first position out of college, and I'm lucky enough to love my role. Um, so I studied advertising and public relations in Western Michigan at Grand Valley State University, and my internships kind of guided me to nonprofit work. Um, I'd love, you know, interestingly, after graduating, you kind of cast a wide net, you send your resume out um, all sorts of places. I knew I wanted to be in the Cleveland area. Um, And then the Alzheimer's Association appealed to me because my grandfather is my personal connection, um, my grandpa John. So we had lost him to Alzheimer's a couple of months after I graduated high school. Um, And that was just a devastating loss to my family and seeing, you know, seeing him go through that such a strong individual and um, just the way that the the disease progresses, it was just devastating. So um, I love my position now working in development and fundraising and trying to empower individuals in their work and efforts to support the association. And um, yeah, that's, that's a little bit about where I'm at now. I think most of us who do get involved have a personal connection. I think mm-hmm. anybody that hears about it knows, oh my gosh, it's so scary, you know, this disease. But until you've really experienced it with somebody that you care about, you don't really understand, right? I know. And it's it's actually rare when you come across someone who doesn't have a connection, like you're saying, like one in three seniors passes with Alzheimer's. That's a figure that came out through our facts and figures report. And, you know, we have one community educator, his name's Dennis Fisher. He's amazing. And he's that rarity where he doesn't have a tie to the cause, but he just feels passionately because of so many families that have been touched. Um, so you're right, though. It makes a difference. So can you tell everyone how the Alzheimer's Association started in Cleveland or when it started, a little history? So nationally, I know we started in 1980, um, and it really was founded to support caregivers, um, those caring for loved ones with Alzheimer's and dementia. Um, Locally, our Cleveland area chapter, I'm not sure the specifics of when it launched necessarily, um, but I know that it has always been very caregiver focused um, through our support groups, education programs, which I'm sure we'll we'll talk about more, um, but really, really priding ourselves in having that community presence and making people feel supported um, so that it doesn't feel like that isolating disease that so many people have experienced. Right. So you're not just reaching out to the person with the disease, you're supporting the family. Absolutely. Yeah, because we know, um, you know, caregivers and COVID certainly showed us that, how using that isolating word once again, it's an around-the-clock job for these individuals providing care and support for their loved ones. Um, And so it's really important to have that outlet and sounding board to be able to speak to, um, because you you have, you know, these 
individuals are on 24 seven. And so that's why we find our work so important to support them as well as the individual living with Alzheimer's or dementia. So what kind of education do you put out in the community? Like, how do you get out there? And give me an example or listeners mm -hmm. an example of some of the programs that you provide. So education is a huge focus of ours. Um, you know, the, the common questions, what's the difference between Alzheimer's and dementia, those will come up. And so we have our community course offerings about the different ways that we can educate the public on this disease. Um, so our, our standard one, we have understanding Alzheimer's and dementia, just uh, 30 minutes or we, some of our programs are offered in 30 minutes or one hour courses. Um, so we can do them as like a shorter lunch and learn with a company or more of a formal um, deep dive into the disease. Um, so we have understanding Alzheimer's and dementia. There's one specifically geared towards conversations that you might, as a caregiver, be having with your loved one. Um, you know, difficult conversations about driving and, and how to bridge the topic um, when these tough decisions might have to be made. Um, there's also general health and cognitive wellness ones. We have one on healthy habits for your brain and body. Um, so that's kind of a tips from the latest research about what you can do to look after your overall well-being. Um, and then we have some more specific ones like legal and financial planning. Um, and I have our community courts offering somewhere, but we have a, a pretty great list of them. So you mentioned something that maybe many people don't understand, that Alzheimer's and dementia thing, right? Dementia mm -hmm. is a broader group. Alzheimer's is a piece, correct? Correct. So we describe dementia as that umbrella term that's used to describe a collection of symptoms. And then beneath that umbrella, there are different forms of dementia. So Alzheimer's is the most common form of dementia. It accounts for about 60 to 80 percent of all dementia cases. Um, but you might also hear frontotemporal dementia, um, dementia with Lewy bodies, etc. Um, and at the Alzheimer's Association, we do recognize Alzheimer's and all other dementia. It's part of our mission statement, our vision statement. Um, we support all forms. So do you have different classes or is it kind of just covering the general care of regardless of what so kind we have, of dementia? Our general education touches on all different forms of dementia. So we do weave that into the courses. Um, but then for support groups, which is nice, that's one of our other free um, services that we offer. We have so we have um, specific to geography, but then also specific to audience. So we do have some for different forms of dementia. There's some for the type of caregiver that you are. So an adult children one, so that maybe the sandwich caregivers might be able to share their experiences. There's one for spouses. There's one that's faith-based. Um, so we do understand the differences, you know, in people's situations or the type of dementia that they might be facing. So if they're um, reaching out to attend these, where do you hold these different classes and support groups? So some are held um, virtually. So for instance, our adult children, one recognizing that a lot of these individuals are caring for young children and their parents, it might not be feasible for them to be able to meet up in person. Um, so those are held virtually, but then we also have some that are held at libraries in the community um, and other community hubs where these might take place. So did your online stuff pick up with COVID? 
Uh, it, it was certainly a challenge in COVID, um, you know, whether it was people getting burned out from Zoom or maybe not necessarily being comfortable with the technology. We made the shift just as other organizations did. And um, certainly engagement was hard. You know, some groups, they they found success that way. And we were able to um, strengthen groups and combine as needed. Um, but yeah, it was interesting. I, I do think COVID, of course, presented an opportunity for people to think about how your work is being delivered and to make things more accessible in ways to people. Um, but yeah, that was that's something that we're still working on, you know, establishing yourself back in person or virtually when it's appropriate. So when you started to meet in person, did you have a difficult time? Because I know you still required masks mm -hmm. for your uh, people who attended. And so how did that work with the people who had Alzheimer's or dementia? Because at that time I was working in a community and keeping the mask on someone was just not so easy because they couldn't really understand why they were wearing it. So what type of things did you, because we're, we're going to come across this again. You know, right now the mask is off. Fall hits, we're inside. My bet is we're going to see it come back for a little while. So how did you work with people to, you know, some ideas maybe to be able to get them to wear the mask? So truthfully, I don't have experience with that. Um, our support group facilitator and our um, our manager, Lexi Ritt, would be able to better speak to that. Um, I'm sure that it, it was a challenge, just as you're saying, but I, I don't have that anecdotal experience to share. So the only thing that I can say we did is because they couldn't understand what COVID was. We talked about the flu and a cold, and mm -hmm. most of them could still relate to what the flu was, and that I was protecting them from that. So that's that's my little piece that I can throw in from my experience of working yeah. with seniors during COVID. Yeah, I know a lot of our support groups, they are geared towards caregivers, so it is caregivers that are attending. Um, my assumption would be that many of them would be comfortable wearing masks since, of course, you want to protect your loved one and you're working with vulnerable populations. But um, in terms of individuals living with dementia, wearing their masks, I'm, I'm not sure. Liv, have you noticed that on Facebook, we have more and more families who are now documenting their stories uh, with their mother, with, with their wife? Uh, and I, I love them because I really think it makes us understand it a lot better that we can see it firsthand and especially when some of them are still very verbal and they sort mm -hmm. of know what they're going to be going through but has this caused more of an educational problem for you because i know there's people out there that think that uh they're exploiting their loved ones and that's not how i see it but there are people out there who feel that way I think something that we always talk about and as an organization, you above all want to respect the dignity of the individual that is living with Alzheimer's and dementia. So while we as loved ones or caregivers, you know, might be coping in certain ways and, you know, say being open about your story is helpful for you, or some people are very closed off. Um, I think just whatever path you go about it, just making sure that you are keeping the human up front and you know at the forefront of the conversation and making sure that you're not you know keeping in mind what their wants and needs would be um i think like you're like you said it's it's an excellent way to spread awareness and to really show that the disease affects individuals and in, in a variety of different ways so it's helpful to see 
the caring dynamics and the different stages and how people might be reacting. And, and like I mentioned, it, it can be therapeutic for caregivers to right. really feel like they can share their experiences. Um, but I, I think above all, it's important to keep in mind personal experiences are personal experiences. And that's why it's important for organizations like us to have our education and to have our resources where it's, you know, here is X, Y, and Z story, but visit the Alzheimer's Association for information if you might fear, you know, cognitive loss or, or something like that. So um, just making sure stories paired with facts and facts. resources. Yeah, exactly. Well, and everybody's journey on that is different. You know, my first going through this was with my grandmother. And in the beginning, we were horrified. And she would be horrified if she knew, right? Yeah. She knew she had it. We promised my mother, she made my mother promise to keep her straight. That was her words, keep me straight. Mm -hmm. And my mother did the best she could. She took care of her for 14 years. That's a very long time to yeah. help somebody who has uh, Alzheimer's. But she started these behaviors that just, just was just incredible. And she would have been mortified if she knew she did it. Now we laugh about it because you have to, you kind of have to add the humor in um, so that you aren't in pain from going through it. We talked about the stories now, oh, remember when grandma did and everybody laughs and it's mm -hmm. become a shared better memory than the initial part of going through it. Now my mother's in the beginning of it. So now we're back to the beginning stage. And now I go back and remember that. And I think part of the reason I wanted to do this, besides the fact that you and I both work in the senior community, is because I'm going through it again. This time I have a different view. This time I can share things differently. And this show's about getting through life's challenges, and that's certainly going to be one of them. And I think people, even if it's not the same journey, if they understand somebody's going through it and they're getting through it, that's important. Right. Mm -hmm. For doing this, for the things that you put on, for them to understand that you will get through it. Absolutely. It's just finding the finding the way, right? I how are you together. doing? How am I doing? Mm -hmm. Is what it is. Yeah. Everybody knows that. It's part of the journey. I take everything day by day. Having had the experience makes this a little easier, not only because I've been through it with my grandmother. She lived with me and my mother with my two young children for almost a year. That was interesting. <laughs> very, very interesting because my grandmother was at the same level of my three-year-old. They related very well. They ate the same foods. She, she wanted cheese curls and cookies and he was right there with her for it. But it was kind of nice for her because at least she had somebody at her level. I don't know how much she understood that, but they they were able to form some bond that way because they shared that. Now my mother's not at that point, thankfully. Um, but it's 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 different. Everybody's yeah. journey is different. Yeah. It is not the same as my grandmother's. Mm -hmm. But having seen this with my residents over the past several years working the community really does help. So I could start to see those cues earlier, and things don't get out of hand because what happens is people don't want to admit it, they don't want to see it. And many times that's not in the best interest of their loved one. 
So that's something we're really pushing. June is Alzheimer's and Brain Awareness Month. And one of our biggest initiatives is early detection and diagnosis. Um, like you said, you know, it, it can be easy sometimes to look past initial symptoms and maybe it's not being aware of it. Maybe it's not wanting to accept it, but it's just so important to, we have our 10 warning signs. That's, that's a, a document that we like to share out to the community for people to educate themselves and to get early help and early intervention when possible. So, um, it's it's just important to 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 do that and to seek help when when you notice changes well and it's like any other illness right people put off colonoscopies mm -hmm. they put off all of those things but the earlier that you take hold of this and work with it the better off you're going to be and the better quality of time you'll have with your loved one mm -hmm. i really believe that yeah so I mentioned early when we started that we were working in the community and doing things together. So tell me, you know, there's a lot of research going on every day and we're getting there, right? Mm -hmm. We're getting there toward a cure, we hope. So tell me the types of things that the Alzheimer's Association does to raise funds to put that education group out there and for, fund, uh, for development of new products. Yeah. So um, research is a huge focus of ours at the association. We are the largest nonprofit funder of Alzheimer's research in the, in the world. Um, and we're actually third in the world, only behind the United States and Chinese government generally. Um, so I can, I have a little sheet with me right now that specifically says what we're investing in. So we're currently investing over $320 million in more than 1,000 projects in 54 countries spanning six continents. So wow. huge focus of ours. Um, we really want to, you know, we're in this, we're, we're saying an era of treatment. There are two treatments that have been released, Lacanumab and Aduhelm. However, as you may have seen in the news, they're not accessible um, because Centers for Medicare and Medicaid have not approved it so that the prices are just outrageous and and we're the first to kind of take a stance in saying that um but there is a lot of research kind of on on the brink that we're very excited about more treatments coming out looking at the disease from different angles and making sure that we're not just investing in one um one theory that we have about kind of the cause of the disease. Um, and so July is actually a really exciting time at the association. We host the Alzheimer's Association International Conference. It's called AAIC. Um, and that really convenes researchers all across the world to come together, share their findings. Um, and after that, we release a, re a really great report about kind of the state of Alzheimer's and dementia research, our five key findings. Um, and it really helps the public see strides that are being made. Um, so research is always at the forefront. We're in this place now where there is treatment available, even though it's not available necessarily, um, and we're still working towards that cure, just like you said. Um, in terms of care and support, that's always at the forefront of our minds as well. Um, so locally, we offer our education programs, as you mentioned, our caregiver support groups. We also offer care consultations, so that gives families a chance to work one-on-one -on -one with our care consultants to develop an action plan. Um, so talking about family dynamics and navigating care, legal and financial questions, um, really just equipping them with guidelines, because oftentimes after getting a diagnosis, it's now what? Um, right. So that's a really great service. And then we also offer a free 24-7 helpline that you can call at any hour of the day and get connected with one of our master's level clinicians. So that's kind of just a, a brief overview. We, of course, have more programs and services than that. But um, to answer your question, largely funding care and support and research initiatives. 
And how do we raise that money? There's a couple of different things that the association does. There are, yeah. So we have two um, signature fundraising events. The first is our Walk to End Alzheimer's. So those are in communities all across the country. Um, it's a really fantastic event. And uh, locally, we have our Cleveland Walk, Lake and Geauga, Lorraine County, um, some in Greater East as well that are fantastic. Um, and then our second signature fundraising event is called The Longest Day. So that is a do-it-yourself fundraiser where participants fight the darkness of Alzheimer's through an activity of their choice. Um, so events for this campaign can take place throughout the year, but are celebrated on the day with the most light, which is the summer solstice. So for the Walk to End Alzheimer's, the association's planning the event, people are creating walk teams, they're coming, being there for our promise garden ceremony, which is beautiful, um, and, and that's their event. For the longest day, these individuals are planning and hosting their own event or activity, and we as the association are supporting them in that effort. Um, and then our third fundraising initiative that we do is our annual gala called a celebration of hope. Um, and that takes place annually in May and recognizes a participant um, with our champion award, which is the highest level of recognition that we have as a chapter. So I was talking for a minute there. <laughs> no, that's okay. I want yeah. you to cover all those. I've all been right. on the walk committee many times. Um, I had my own walk group. How I raised my funds was with a comedy night. Mm -hmm. It's a laugh. Like I mentioned, the things my grandma used to do have become funny stories now, not horror stories anymore. Um, and she was the reason why I started it because you got to laugh. Laughter, Karen and I know this gets you through a lot, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. No matter what it is. But I did a new fundraiser with you. That's how we got associated. So one of our Cleveland, the Cleveland Senior Network group put together a musical, Not a Day Over Fabulous. <laughs> We did well with that, didn't we? You did extraordinary at it. What were there, over 100 people at each showing? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And I think next year, because I know that we're talking about doing it again next year, it'll be hopefully bigger. But what other types of things have you, to give people ideas? So let's say they go, I really want to just do my own thing. I don't want to walk. I don't feel mm -hmm. like I can walk, but I want to support. And I'm looking at the longest day as the piece to do how what other things could they do we did a musical which was a big undertaking to put together yeah. give an example maybe of some other things that people do yeah so we like to look we ask people to think of an activity that they love or something that their loved one might have enjoyed doing so um this weekend actually we have a great example there's a gentleman in menor his name is greg smith and he's doing a 24-hour bike ride he loves cycling. He's doing it in his neighborhood. There's a 1.46 mile loop in his neighborhood, and he is going to do that for 24 hours to raise funds and awareness in honor of his mother, um, who he lost to this disease. So it can be a one-person show, posting on your social media, doing something really special and meaningful to you, or like you're talking about, the, the musical, which was months of planning and forming a committee, and it was this fabulous production with so many moving parts. Um, I think it's just important to keep in mind with the longest day, it can be as big or as small of an activity as you'd like. Um, but we just love to empower people and make them feel connected um, with their reason for supporting us. So you collect funds for that particular fundraiser until when? So we, so my group has their own team and we have a team page. So how long can people still donate for longest day? 
So funds um, will be accepted through August 31st. So the longest day, it's a year-round campaign, but there still needs to be that formal beginning and end date. Mm -hmm. Though it spans September 1st to August 31st. So you can donate up until August 31st and then starting <laughs> September 1st, registration will be open. Start over all again. That's the way it goes, but we love it. <laughs> so um, I'm going to backtrack for a minute just mm -hmm. to kind of look at what's the typical person for, you said, what'd you say, one in three people? One in three seniors passes with Alzheimer's. Are they mostly women, mostly men? Do Is there an ethnic piece to it? Is there anything that you can share that I, my, my thought is there's more women than men. Is that true? Yes. So women are more susceptible um, for whatever reason to to be diagnosed with Alzheimer's or dementia in their lifetime. Um, and then, as you mentioned, looking at groups as well, um, black individuals are, oh, I want to say, two times more likely than white individuals to be diagnosed with Alzheimer's and Hispanic individuals are one and a half times more likely. So there is a risk factor um, and that is work that we are attempting to do locally and nationally. Um, we have diversity, equity and inclusion as one of our pillars at the association. And we're lucky locally to have a diversity, equity and inclusion program manager, really looking to make partnerships in our community to strengthen trust and bonds um, and make it known, you know, the resources that might be there for individuals. So um, just getting creative with partnerships. I know we're looking at um, Spanish speaking um, support groups and education opportunities, um, really trying to make things accessible and making sure that we are um, just being inclusive in, in our thought of how services are delivered. Do you feel that some communities are less open? for that outreach because they don't want to admit that it it exists. You, you know what I mean? Like certain cultures, if you have cancer, you don't talk about it. If you have this, you don't mm -hmm. talk about it. Do you find that that's the case? I think culture can certainly play a role in this. And that's something that Fred Fred Knuckles, our um, diversity, equity, inclusion program, program manager has spoken about. Um, you know, every every group, every person has their way of you know, their way of protecting themselves and their way of viewing their family and sharing about their experiences. And so it's not always easy for individuals to trust largely or to feel like they are in a position to be able to to share um, right. what might be going on in their lives. And so I think that's why it's so important in our organization that we aim to be so community facing of, you know, you can say all day long, here's our 24-7 helpline calls when you need a hand. But when you have someone in the community who is really reaching out and trying to uplift people and making that effort, it makes the world of a difference. Doesn't Fred work with um, Cleveland Clinic and University Hospital in a program? Uh, one of my previous communities, we did it for our independent living, just kind of talking about diet and you know what to look for for changes. I believe he came and there's a program together with the hospitals. Interesting. I'm not- I wish I could remember right now. Uh-oh, I can't remember. That's bad. Oh gosh. He did, with hospital systems, um, we did host Candid Conversations, it was called. That was a couple months ago and it gathered representatives from major hospital systems to talk about you know, diversity, equity, inclusion as it relates to Alzheimer's and what we can do to better serve our community. Um, so that was a couple hours long and it was a, a really great, panel discussion that took place. But in terms of a specific education program, I'm not sure. 
Yeah, there is. I'm going to try to find that out for people who are listening okay. and put it in the notes or have added in the notes because I know there was, it's just at the moment it escapes me. But when mm -hmm. you brought up Fred's name, that made me think of it. And it was a yeah. great program to have both hospital, major hospitals represented along Something. with the Alzheimer's Association. Fred's been doing some really amazing work. Um, one other thing, if I can highlight, he did sure. something called Purple Sunday. So it was looking at how um, churches in the African-American community are such a hub and a way for people to get information and to gather mm -hmm. and, and celebrate. Um, and so he organized something called Purple Sunday, which encouraged organization, which encouraged churches to go purple one Sunday. I want to say it was at the end of April. Um, and he had informational materials. There were fans for churches. Um, there would be information to share in, uh, you know, throughout the service. And I want to say there were over 70 churches that participated between wow. Cleveland and Akron, and it touched thousands of lives. Wow. Um, so yeah, just, you know, meeting people where they're at, getting creative and, um, making sure our message is getting out where it's needed. So, I love that comment that you made meeting people where they're at. Right. Because that was something that we learned um, in with my mother. Um, I sort of suspected long distance that she was going through dementia, um, but it became very obvious <clears throat> when she had a stroke. Mm -hmm. And none of us knew how to talk to her because she would ask us questions like, you know, you know, where's your dad? And yeah. we didn't want to say, hey, dad died 14 years ago because we were going to have to repeat that again later in the day. Mm -hmm. And so they taught us how to respond. And mm -hmm. the answer was, dad will be here. And so that that stopped it. And we, we could say that over and over again, but she didn't have to mourn his death every time we said, dad's been gone 14 years. So I love that comment and people really gain a lot by it. Yeah, thank you for sharing your experience yeah. as well. I think it's hard for a lot of people because you want to correct it. You want to say, don't you remember? I mean, we do that with my mother now. She'll argue with you about something. And finally we go, okay, now. okay. You know, but then she gets frustrated because she said, well, you know, you're just saying that, which is really true, by the way. But <laughs> she realizes it for that hot minute that, you know, you're just saying that and then move on. But it is hard, but it's a good idea to try to do that, to not argue the point. You know, just kind of meet them where they are. Mm -hmm. And those are topics that come up in our support group. Just, you know, there's there's best practices for how you can handle situations, but also just hearing how people in these similar situations have been able to make their loved one feel safe and happy and cared for. And, you know, like you're saying, if, if something's working for them and it and you're not going to make them have to go through trauma day after day, right. um, you know, just keeping that in mind. I think um, people need to think about what their favorite thing was to do. Hmm. So music works very well with a lot of people. They relate yeah. to it. It brings back history. If they like to read, if they like to paint, there's something that takes them to a, a feel-good memory that they have. Um, I think as people age, we forget about that. You know, we do it when we're younger and then they're older and you're trying to care for them. You're the caregiver. I don't want to dig, take the paints out. I don't want to dig up the music. I don't want to do those things. But I think that's an opportunity to help them relax, have good memories and helps you relax along the way. 
I think you don't you provide list of types of activities, I think. Yeah. So we actually have two early stage programs. I'm, I'm so glad that you brought this up. So the first is called Baseball Memories, um, and it is a baseball reminiscence program where essentially it gathers individuals to talk about baseball, something that's so important and um, it's such a passion point for people. And, you know, talking about the sport and athletes from the past. Um, I know Lexi has has had amazing comments about this program. And um, I want to say it started up during the pandemic, actually, and, and it's been a nice collection of individuals in that. Um, and then we also do art in the afternoon. Um, so that's at the Cleveland Museum of Art. And it's an opportunity for individuals and their loved ones to go to the Cleveland Museum of Art. And that that, that same concept about engaging in passions that they may have had um, and just staying socially active, cognitively active, um, and doing some things that they enjoy. So what other things anyone who's listening what other things do you suggest if they are, they suspect? You mentioned you have a list of 10 things, mm -hmm. right? Early signs, early warning signs. What do you suggest they do to kind of broach that subject with their loved one? And how do they get help for themselves? Maybe the loved one's not going to participate because let me tell you, even though my mother, she has a preliminary diagnosis, she doesn't have the formal one. And when mm -hmm. she got the preliminary one, she didn't want that person back in her house. Yeah. She didn't want them to come back. So what do you suggest for people? How do they take those steps that they need to protect themselves and their person that they care about? So um, on our, our website, I believe our shortened URL is alz.org forward slash one zero ways alz.org forward slash 10 ways. Um, and that lists out those, or no, I'm sorry, that's the 10 ways to love your brain. Um, we do have our 10 warning signs. I apologize. The 10 and the 10 okay. gets me sometimes. Um, but we do have our 10 warning signs as well. So if you search Alzheimer's Association 10 warning signs, that's something that you can familiarize yourself with. Um, I always recommend using our 24-7 helpline. That can be, I know it can be intimidating sometimes. You don't need a formal diagnosis. You don't even need to know someone with Alzheimer's or dementia to utilize that service. But if you suspect that someone that you know or love might be experiencing these changes, I definitely recommend just giving a call, explaining what, what you're witnessing, maybe having them share their experience and then kind of guide you in what those next steps should be. Um, I, I think my biggest thing is just don't be afraid to reach out. Um, we are here to support you. We're here to validate your concerns or point you in the right direction um, and really to make you feel supported throughout this. So before we head out, because we're the time is zipping by here already, <laughs> give out to the audience. I know you just mentioned one website, but kind of go through those ways that they can touch base with you. Mm -hmm. Not you necessarily personally, unless they want to do a fundraiser, then I'm sure you'll be happy to talk to them. But how'd they reach out to the <laughs> Cleveland organization? Or maybe they're not in Cleveland because many of our listeners are all over the country. Some are international. How do they reach out? That's great. So our 24-7 helpline, all of our programs and services are free. Um, so our 24-7 helpline is, of course, free. So you can call that number at 800 272-3900. And as I mentioned, you can get connected with a master's level clinician, share about your experiences, and then they can refer you to your local chapter after that point. So if you're interested in further follow-up or might need it, then at that point, they'll connect you to your local chapter of the association. Um, if you're local to Cleveland, well, 
I'll backtrack. Generally speaking, as well, if you'd like to visit our website, it's alz.org. So that has our information on advocacy efforts, research, care and support, you know, latest findings. It, that's our hub. But then locally, if you're in Cleveland, it's alz.org forward slash Cleveland. Um, I will say, Melinda, I am always happy to speak. You know, if, if someone goes on our staff list and finds my name, I'm always happy to be the first point of contact and to defer to my colleagues as needed. Um, but we always want to lead with our programs and services. So while it's wonderful when people want to host fundraisers for us, um, the reason why we do this work is to fund those care and support services and advanced research. So, um, you know, anyone that you might see on that staff list, by all means, reach out. But I recommend that 24-7 helpline first. Um, one more thing I almost forgot to bring up. Are you Don't you have a program that go, looks at the genetic piece to it that you can sign up and be part of, as I recall? So we have trial match, it's called. That's um, it, yeah. And that's something, it's so important to us as we prioritize research, making sure that we have individuals in these clinical trials so that we get results that are representative of the populations that we serve. Um, so trial match is something that we are always pushing out. You do not have to have a, you don't, you do not have to have Alzheimer's or dementia. You don't have to have a loved one who has been diagnosed. They're always looking for individuals from different backgrounds and different connections or no connections to the disease. Um, so I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because that's some important work as well and an initiative that we always try to push. And that's how we learn. can get and that's how we can get information, right? If we can mm -hmm. get people to participate in those types of trials. So I think it's really important. Everything that's ever happened to me, and many of my listeners know that, so we don't have to go back over. I always try to participate in research because if I got to go through this, I want somebody else to benefit in the future, right? And the only way to do that is to participate mm -hmm. and put yourself out there a little bit, right? Yeah. So before we go, if anybody is interested in still supporting our musical fundraiser, you can still do that. Do you remember the website for that? Is it Cleveland Ooh. Senior Network Musical is the name of the team. Cleveland it's the name Senior of the Network. team. Yeah. We can do the short URL, which I believe is act.alz.org forward slash go to forward slash Lee, C-L-E, Senior Net Musical. Was it net, mm -hmm. I want to say? Yeah. Or you could go to alz.org forward slash the longest day. And then in team names, you can search Cleveland Senior Network. That might be easier and a little bit more That's trustworthy. <laughs> also, we have the website, the right. Cleveland Senior Network website, and that also has the link. Excellent. So I'm hoping you love okay. What did you say? Go no, ahead. you first. All right, we, we would love to have people support that. Um, mm -hmm. if they can, since we have till August 31st to raise as much money as we can to help the cause. That you do. And you've Absolutely. done an amazing job. Thank you. Well, thank you for your time today. We appreciate you coming on. Um, again, we're going to put everything in the show notes, right, Karen? So people yeah, can reach out if you have any questions and, you know, might have you back on. Maybe we can have somebody come on and talk directly about the actual programs. That would yeah. be great. Excellent. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. Oh, thank Thanks you for being on today. Take care. Have a great day, ladies. Bye-bye now.